Hope you brought a Bible. Uh, you can open it now with me to um, Ephesians chapter 2. And let's continue our study of the book of Ephesians. You follow uh, as I read. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 2, we'll read through verse 10 of chapter 2. Here we go. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. His in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God. It endures forever. Guys, among um, lots of things that are going on in this text that I just read you, one of the things that Paul does, among numerous other things that we could fix our attention on, one of the things that he does, or at least the result of, one of, the, of what he does, is that he compares or he contrasts, he paints a portrait contrasting... Um, in, in, in rather vivid terms, um, what man was by nature and what God by grace has done to change that. Did you get that? <laughs> in this chapter that is so rich, uh, there's just lots of things that we could draw. One of the things that's going on here, one of the things that ultimately happens here in this text, is that a a, a contrast is being made. A contrast between what we were and then what God did by grace to change that. So this morning, I only have two points for you. You're going to get shortchanged, I guess, but there's only two points. Number one, what I was or what we were and that's verses really one through three. And then secondly, what God did about it. <laughs> what God did about 
what I was and what we were. So that's, that's what we're going to look at, just this contrast between what I was and what God did to change me and us. Okay? Now, you may remember that um, I said a couple of times that in, in chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 14, it was one Greek sentence. Um, one long, complex Greek sentence. Well, chapter 2 does the same thing. It's not quite as long. Um, he opens with another long, somewhat complex Greek sentence covering about seven verses. Um, in that Greek sentence, in that long Greek sentence covering about the first seven verses, there is no main verb describing God's action until we get to verse 5, where, where you find um, he made us alive together with Christ Jesus. That's the first time that you see uh, the reference to what God did. But before he gets to that, Paul goes to some to some extremes, to, um, to describe our state before regeneration. Now, guys, don't, don't let that term regeneration trip you up. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, not a, it's a rich theological term. Yes, yes, yes. But, I mean, if you're more comfortable with some, some, some of the synonyms, the synonyms like rebirth, born again, they're the same thing. I'm simply saying that Paul describes us in some pretty stark ways before that regeneration, rebirth, born again thing happened. Are are you there? Guys, um, he mentions three images. He, He describes us in three different ways. There's three different things in these first three or four verses that describe us prior to regeneration or rebirth or being born, however you'd like to say that. It's not, it's not a hard term. We'll talk about it more in a minute, but it's not a hard term. It's just that born-again thing that we'll talk about in a minute. All right? So he gives us three images to describe us. Here's the first one. It's in verse 1. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, guys, um, I, I don't know what, how, how you, uh, whether you take notes or don't take notes. It doesn't, doesn't bother me one way or the other. But if you're going to, this is pretty simple to even outline. What was I like prior to God doing this great work of regeneration in me? Number one. Here's what I was like. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you must, you must hear me. The word is not sick. I wasn't sick in my trespasses and sins. The text says I was dead. Man outside of regeneration is dead to the things of God. Apart from the rebirth. There is no spiritual pulse. None. Guys, there is a lot of difference between the words sick and dead. 
the word used here, is dead. Man is not sick in some hospital waiting for the miracle drug of the gospel. No. He's dead. Um, Man is not drowning in his sin, hoping for someone to throw him the life vest of the gospel. No. He's dead. We're not sick. We were not sick. We were dead. We were not sick in sin, waiting on Dr. God. We were dead. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we know what that word means. If it's talking about physical characteristics and you're dead, that means you have no physical abilities. You got a toe tag. If you're sick, that's vastly different. But if you're dead, you have no physical abilities. And if you're dead spiritually, you have no spiritual abilities. Ladies and gentlemen, God deals with corpses spiritually. Not seriously ill people. Okay, knowing that this is bad English. What can I do to cause God to born me again? Nothing. Why? Because I'm dead. What steps must I take to see to it that I am born again? You can't take steps. Why? Because you're dead spiritually. Guys, in a, in a place in John chapter 10, it's, it's kind of funny, although I don't think you'll think it's funny, but it's kind of, it's John chapter 10, verse 10. And Jesus is talking to an audience of people. He's talking to a group of people. I don't know how many were there, but they were people. And they were very much alive. He wasn't talking to a bunch of cadavers. He was talking to a group of people. And he makes this statement to a group of people who are very much alive. He says to them, I came that you might have life. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm already alive. What do you mean you came that I can have life? Well, says Jesus, I'm not talking about that kind. In fact, ladies and gentlemen... There are two Greek words in the, in, the, in the Greek language that are translated life. There's one that you know about, bios. We get our word biology from it. There's bios, which is a kind of an organic, natural life. And then there's another word, zoe. And zoe is the one that's found in John 10.10. 10. I came that you might have, not bios. I came that you might have zoe. Life, spiritual life. He comes to procure spiritual life for spiritually dead people. You know, Jesus says this to Nicodemus in John 3. You remember that, John 3, 3? He says to Nicodemus, "Mm, Nicodemus, you must be born again um, or you'll never see the kingdom. And, and, And Nicodemus was was a trained Jewish scholar. 
He was a trained Jewish theologian. And he didn't have the foggiest notion what Jesus was saying. What do you mean? What do you mean born again? I don't understand any of that because, you know, um, um, am I going to be stuffed back up in my mother's womb? Completely confused because spiritually he was dead. Now, the, the second part of the description of what we were like before regeneration really comes in verses 2 and 3. Let me read it for you. In which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. Now, now guys, I know the language that I'm about to use is not in here, but it does summarize it. The second part of the description is that I was in bondage to Satan. He mentions the prince of the power of the air in there. There was a bondage. And it was a bondage that showed up in a disobedient, flesh pot kind of life. Full of, I mean, look at what he says, um, the son, uh, spirit of disobedience uh, among whom we went in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Do you remember that? I do. And I bet you do too. When, when, when that bondage to Satan was, was, was revealed in the fact of that, that what we, the way that we live was characterized by illegitimate desires and passions. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. In fact, I am indelibly marked. By, by some of the stuff that I used to call fun in high school and in college. It was a lifestyle that, that makes me blush. Fortunately, there are no pictures. You remember that one? Sure you do. We were being dragged around by the nose, by the prince and the power of the air. We lived that life. We loved that life. It's it's who we were. A whole social and moral value system, which is alien to God, is what we lived. It It was how we got along. It was a cultural and a moral bondage. Do you remember? Sure you do. I saw a YouTube this week. It was the testimony of a, uh, of a man by the name of David Berkowitz. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it does for some of us. The son of Sam. Killed all those people in New York. Serial killer. You can find it. I mean, it's, it's really nine minutes, really rich to listen to. Well, David Berkowitz has, has become a Christian in jail. He's, by, by the way, he's not getting out. <laughs> he was, his sentence is like 487 years or something. But he talked about this very idea. He said, I know that you think this is odd, but I've been set free. 
I mean, David, you're in a prison. You're going to be there for 487 years. <laughs> no, I'm free. I've been set free by Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, part of the thing that is descriptive of us before we were born of the Spirit is that we were in bondage. The bondage that showed up as, as a son of disobedience. Ladies and gentlemen, I, it, it was, that was me in spades. Did you go to college? Not to, but if you did, you remember. Actually, you didn't have to go to college to remember that, did you? It was, it was um, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Remember? Sure you do. It's bondage, ladies and gentlemen, and hopefully you've been set free from that. But that was descriptive of us. Prior to having the Spirit grant us life. And the last part of the description is really perhaps the most offensive of all three. He says, we were by nature children of wrath. That's in verse 3. We were by nature children of wrath. We were born into this world, ill-prepared to leave it. You, know, you, you hear people talk about, you hear people say stupid things like this, that man was born good and it was the environment that ruined him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is completely backwards. It's the environment that was pristine until fallen creatures like you and me got a hold of it. And we're the ones that ruined it. It didn't ruin us. <coughs> no one was born <coughs> and raised as a Christian. <coughs> we were born in a state of fallenness. And I, and I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, I doubt that there is any expression in the book of Ephesians which has provoked more hostility than that one. Because it means that newborns are by nature children of wrath. That little by nature. And, um, you know, you've heard all the parenting gobbledygook about the terrible twos. And, um, oh, they're just sowing their wild oats. No, 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 ladies and gentlemen. When your little begins to give you grief, they're just doing a little unpacking of their nature that's already in there. R.C. Sproul tells a story, which I, I mean, you're not going to find this funny, but I'm telling you, I think it's hilarious. Sproul tells this story about John Gerstner. You might know the name John Gerstner. John Gerstner was Sproul's mentor. And if you've, I heard him speak one time uh, live. I was in a conference with him. And, and, but he was brilliant. Brilliant. It was a debate uh, that, I mean, I felt, at one point in the debate, the, rest, the ones who were on Gerstner's side, it was almost like, let off of him. Let up. It's just too bloody. Stop. Anyway, he was he, just brilliant. But anyway. 
Um, Gerstner was one time asked to um, fill a pulpit that was vacant because I don't know why the preacher was on vacation or sick or maybe they were out. I, I don't know, but he was asked to fill a pulpit um, that was vacant. And so he showed up on Sunday morning and uh, he was greeted by a couple of the elders of the church. And, and the elders said to him, Dr. Gerson, we're so glad to have you. Uh, by the way, would you mind performing a, uh, an infant baptism this morning? We have, a couple, we have a couple that's just had a baby and they'd like to have their covenant child baptized. Would you mind performing that? And he said, well, of course not. I'd be glad. To, I'd be more than happy to do that. And, and the elders then said, well, we have a custom here at this church. And the custom is that after the baptism, the parents are given a long stem white rose. And, and Gerstner said, well, <laughs> um, could, you, could, you, could you tell me, um, what's the significance of the rose? And the, and the elders in this church said, um, well, well, it symbolizes the purity and the innocence of the child. <laughs> telling you you're not you're going to miss this but and Gerstner then said well what is the significance of the water say you didn't get it you didn't get it guys in baptism water is a cleansing agent you know to wash away the sin and the elders just told him that they were going to baptize a, 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 a child that it was innocent and pure well then what's the water for What's it washing away? The innocence? Gerstner said, I'll be glad to give him a black rose. But but not a white one. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are by nature. Children of wrath. Now, guys, let me just summarize that part of the portrait. Dead in their trespasses and sins. In bondage to the devil. And by nature, children of wrath. I didn't make any of that up. It all came from right there. That's how he describes us. Oh, my goodness. It's kind of bleak. I mean, is there, is there, is there, is there, I mean, is there any, any hope at all for people like that? It comes in verse 4. And I want to read it to you. And ladies and gentlemen, if this doesn't move you, You're just unmovable. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here's here's what that says. It says, um, finally, you came to your senses and you were so, so terribly sorry. Is that what verse 4 says? 
No, ladies and gentlemen, that's not what verse 4 says. In fact, that very idea, the whole, everything about that idea is condemned in the New Testament. Jesus does, goes out of his way in um, a parable in Luke 18 about the, 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 the publican and the Pharisee. Goes out of his way. Publican and the, yeah, Pharisee. To denounce such foolishness. Well, what it, what it, what it really means is, you know, I finally came to a crossroad. And, and, uh, and I knew in my heart that, it, that if I would just take the, the first step down the right path, God would meet me there and arrest me or, 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 or would assist me in my chosen endeavor. Do you know how insane that is, ladies and gentlemen? Did we not simply say a minute ago or a few minutes ago that part of what we were was dead? Well, where does all this, I came to the crossroad and I knew in my heart if I would just taken the first step down the path that where does all that come from? A dead man? Does Paul hint at anything like that? No, ladies and gentlemen, here's what he says. But God. <laughs> One of my heroes is uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, and he loves to talk about the theology that's contained in conjunctions. But God. <laughs> he calls it an apostolic but. Or an apostolic however. There's a couple of three of these in the New Testament. And, I, and I'd like for you to see one because so, I, I hope it'll help you understand Ephesians. If you still got your Bible open, you can find Romans 3 real fast. Romans 3, um, oh, beginning at verse middle part of verse 10. You, you know this passage. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. The venom of asses, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. <clears throat> there is no fear of God before their eyes. Uh, no, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Oh my gosh! Is that, is, that what, is that what we look like? Yep, that's what we look like. Well, what hope is there for us? verse 21 but now the righteousness of God ladies and gentlemen that's the same thing he's done in Ephesians 2 he has described us as dead in our trespasses and sins in bondage to the prince and the power of the air and by nature children of wrath for people like that What kind of hope is there? Here it is. But God, who is rich in mercy. That God who is rich in mercy. Look at the text. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that God... Read it. 
made us alive. Is that fuzzy? I mean, is, is that unclear? Is that, is that hard to understand in any way? God takes spiritual corpses and by the power of the Holy Spirit breathes life into them. An event we call regeneration. I'm going to use a word that some of you don't like, but I thought it was such a wonderful quote. It comes from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards called it the holy rape of the soul. God must move first. The divine initiative. Let me me read, you don't need to turn to this, but let me read you what Jesus says about this. Jesus says this in John chapter 6, and he says it a couple of times. But he says this, this is John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Why, Why can't they come? Because they're dead. And so God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. The Greek word is ganao. We get our English word genesis from it. God has quickened you, and and thus I have come alive to the things of God. God, the Holy Spirit, raises us from spiritual death. Ladies and gentlemen, do you remember the story in John 11 about, Nick, uh, about Lazarus? Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and uh, you know Lazarus dies, and Jesus gets there late, and Mary and Martha comes to greet him, and they say, Oh, Jesus, if you'd have just gotten there earlier, he wouldn't have died. You'd have gotten there just late. And that's when Jesus says, Listen, listen, listen. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, uh, where, where'd you bury him? So they go take him out to where he buries him. And he says, roll away the stone. And the, and the people say, oh, Jesus, he'd been dead four days. By this time, he stinketh. He says, roll away the stone. And then he says, Lazarus. And by the way, the reason that he said Lazarus, because had he not used a personal name, everybody in the grave would have walked out. But he said, Lazarus. Come forth. And he walks out with these grave clothes on him. My point is this, ladies and gentlemen. I am just as dependent on the call of God as was Lazarus on the call of Jesus Christ. Guys, let me summarize this whole thing up for you in three words. One sentence, three words. Let me summarize it for you. Ready? Listen to this. Regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration precedes faith. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will explain to you why, if you look at verse 5, the very, after Paul has just said this, he made us alive together with Christ, the very next thing that pops into his mind is, by grace you have been saved. And then he goes on in verses 8, 9, and 10 to say some more about grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not none of yourselves is a gift of God. 
Even faith, ladies and gentlemen, even faith is a gift. Can, can you give me one good reason why you believe and why someone else doesn't? Are, are, you, um, are you more righteous than your neighbor? <laughs> you know, um, I used to have a neighbor who had a real drinking problem. He lost his driver's license because of his drinking. He lost his job because of his drinking. And um, he would stumble around in his side yard, shuffling his feet and almost falling down. And, and that was at 10 a.m. in the morning. So one night, um, and I, I forget exactly when, but I know it was dark. One night, our doorbell rang, and I went to the front door, and there he stood. I recognized him, and, and I opened the door, and I mean, I did not say, won't you come in? I mean, he just came in, and he was drunk as a skunk. And he was selling Girl Scout cookies. He was selling Girl Scout cookies for a dollar a box. I bought 10. Um, <laughs> but, but what makes me different from him? Is it, is it that I'm smarter? That I'm cuter? Am I more righteous? It's none of that, ladies and gentlemen. I'll tell you what it was. But God. This paragraph concludes in verse 10, pretty much where the paragraph began. With a walk. You'll notice in verse 2, it talks about in which you once walked. And then in verse 10, which God prepared that we should walk. Walking is, is a Hebrew idiom talking about a lifestyle. Well, ladies and gentlemen, because of God making us alive, we have a whole new lifestyle. The, the, the other one, remember it? Boy, I do. That one. That was evil through and through. This new one. It's good. It's clean. It's pure. The master of the old one was the devil. The master of the new one is the thrice holy God. What could possibly have affected such a change in us? Just this. A new creation by the grace and the power of God. Folks, 
Would you like to know for certain at this moment whether you are a Christian or not? Would you? Would you like to know for certain at this moment whether you are a Christian or not? Then I suggest that I've got one of the best tests for you that there is. As I repeat these two words, but God, is there something within you that makes you want to say, thank God? there is it's because you've been born of the spirit is there a but God in your experience Our Father, uh, for so many of us, we sit here and absolutely marvel at the work that you have wrought to arrest us on a certain path, pick us up, dust us off, and turn us around and head us in an altogether different path. It was because of pure Sovereign grace that we, um, that that change has been affected in us. But, glad, but God, we are so glad that you have loved us, loved us to the extent that you refuse to allow us to ruin ourselves. And now, Father, we belong to you. Do with us as you wish. But whatever that wish is, might the end result be that glory is brought to your name. Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met Jesus Christ, would you cause them to see that very clearly? and then draw them to yourself. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.